Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. So I do want to kind of catch you up to speed with where we started because I don't expect everyone to kind of remember, um, you know, BC times before COVID, um, like taking the opportunity to remember back in March. But we started this idea of Jesus and Judas from a real kind of character study, just looking at two men, like these guys were friends. And I need to belabor this point for just a moment so you can really understand their relationship. These guys were on a three-year road trip, okay? Can you picture... 12 dudes on a three-year road trip together. Like, I've done multiple 40-hour road trips with four dudes, and it is like, first of all, it's my favorite thing ever. It's so much fun, but you can kind of just get, it's kind of like a movie. Like, the the things you end up eating, the, the ways you end up laughing, the, how exhausted you are. Has anyone ever done a long road trip like that? Like, anyone? Just a couple? Okay, Nelson was with me for 40 hours. I can't believe we're still friends after that. Uh, but... 40 hours in a car is a lot, but three years on foot doing ministry, you can get kind of an understanding of how close these guys were. Can you imagine the inside jokes that they had? Can you imagine the stories that they had, the memories? I really like to belabor this because sometimes we like to dehumanize Jesus and think he just kind of floated around through his ministry, but he had friends, he had memories, he did fun things, he had difficult days. Like there was a genuine friendship and relationship between Jesus Jesus and Judas. And we forget that because in hindsight, he looks like such a villain. We know how the story concludes. And so we see him as like this sinister character, but there's a lot of evidence in scripture that points out to us, to us, he was the most trusted individual of the group. How do I know this? Because all of the dudes let him hold the money. They gave him all the money. And dudes, let me tell you, like, if you're going to go, like, play a pickup game of uh, basketball or you're going to do something or you, like, have to do something physical, you hand your wallet only to the guy you trust most, (laughs) right? You ain't handing that wallet to the dude who gets, like, you know, let me hold one of these. Let me take two of those. No, you give it to the guy you trust the most. And Judas was the guy that all of these dudes trusted the most, he got to hold the money. He was the most trusted. He seemed to be the most reliable. He seemed to have his head on straight the most out of all of the group because some of these dudes were wild. And he's got this relationship with these other uh, guys and Jesus. And when we look back on scripture, every time his name is said, it's like Judas, the betrayer. Like you can't even read his name without seeing that parentheses. And why is that? Because these accounts are written by the men who were hurt by him. And so when they go back and write the story, they can't just write his name. Like they are personally hurt by this man, personally betrayed by him. And so that's why when we read scripture, we see him through the lens of those who he hurt because they were his friends. Do you have a friend that you talk about or maybe a former friend or a former relationship? And when you mention their name, it just like that little growl comes out. The eye roll comes out because that's what's happening when Matthew and Mark are writing about Judas and John write about Judas. And so all these narratives are written from men who are hurt. And when we look at this relationship, when we look at the relationship between Jesus and Judas, I'm I'm mystified by this relationship. And there's such poetic meaning in this relationship. And it was a real relationship. But when we look at this relationship, let me expose kind of the, the elephant in the room here. We all think Well, in this story, I am Jesus. And all those people who hurt me, they are Judas. So Pastor Justin, please teach me how to be more Jesus 
and how all those Judases are going to get what they deserve. <laughs> Friends, let's talk. All of us are one decision away from being Judas. We are all one choice away. And if you think you are impervious to a heart that gets corrupted, then you've got another thing coming. Because if the most trusted guy in the group can betray in the deepest way, if the guy who walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, loved Jesus, hugged Jesus, can betray Jesus, how much more do you and I have the propensity for the one who we can't see or hear with our eyes or ears today to get things wrong? We have got to be honest about our propensity for wrong so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to prevent that wrong within us. So sometimes, yeah, you might be like Jesus, but other times you got to recognize that you might be Judas. And in your life, you might be Judas to someone else. Not, we're not just talking about to God. Have you been the villain in someone else's story? Sometimes that happens without even trying. Sometimes you can be doing everything right. And, oh, this is a different sermon. But, man, I have to say it. Because sometimes you'll be the bad guy when you were doing everything right. And so if we think I'm just always Jesus, you don't recognize how things go sometimes. That you might be the Judas in someone else's story. And there might be someone in your life who was doing everything they could, but they're the Judas in your story. They're the reason there is hurt and pain today. So how do you keep the right heart when you've been wrong? Hallelujah, wall. What's up, guys? Love you. Good to see you today. I just caught a glimpse of them and I got fired up. <laughs> what do you do when you've been wronged? How do you keep the right heart? How does Judas become Judas? One choice. One choice. And in the Last Supper, when Jesus is eating with the disciples, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And he looks at Judas and says, what you do, do quickly. Oh, that's so gangster. <laughs> he basically says, like, bring it on. What you're about to do, do quickly. Bring it on. Betrayal is one of the most uh, painful and, and impactful forces in our life. And so many people aim to avoid it. And Jesus looks it in the face and he says, bring it on. What you do, do quickly. And there is some perspective that has to be obtained here because so many of us try to prevent betrayal in our lives and try to make sure and micromanage our life for constant loyalty from everyone around us. And if you cross me, you'll regret it. And no one's going to wrong me because we hate the thought of being victimized by betrayal. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He says, bring it on. He doesn't try to stop it because he could. He could snap his fingers and stop it. But Jesus has perspective that not even betrayal can keep him from his purpose if he keeps a heavenly perspective. And in fact, what Jesus understands is you might see this betrayal. You might be trying to wrong me. The enemy might be trying to stop me with this betrayal. But in fact, this betrayal is going to be the catalyst to the fulfillment of my purpose. So bring it on. Bring on the difficulty. Bring on the pain, bring on the betrayal, because if I keep my eyes on the focus of my call, then nothing can keep me from it, not even betrayal. And what I said in March, this was kind of the first idea of the series, if you've been stabbed in the back, let it push you forward. If someone has wronged you, let it drive you forward into your purpose, forward into your destiny. When he got betrayed by his best friend, Jesus didn't change his mission. When he got betrayed by his best friend, Jesus didn't change his focus. He didn't change his perspective. He said, let's do this thing because even betrayal can't stop me. 
Listen, betrayal is only as powerful as you let it be. You can't control the betrayal, but you determine the impact of the betrayal. Betrayal is going to happen. Hurt is going to happen. Wrong is going to happen, but it will only be as powerful as you allow it to be. And if you've been betrayed, if you've been walked out on, if you've been hurt or crossed or wronged, hear me well today. You are not damaged goods. You are not some kind of scratch and dent clearance item as a result of someone else's wrong in your life. God has always been your redeemer. He's always been your vindicator. He's always been on your side. And if they didn't have the power to make you, they don't have the power to break you. He's with you. He's with you. And so now that's our recap from March. Here we are now in, what is it? September? Lord help us. So Now we're caught up right here to this moment in scripture, the moment of betrayal. Verse 47 again, while he was still speaking, he's in the garden. Judas, one of the 12 arrives with a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, he said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. And again, Jesus says it, do what you came for, friend. Once again, Jesus responds, do what you will. I'm not trying to stop the pain. I'm not trying to prevent the pain. I'm trying to add purpose to the pain. Do what you will. Do what you will. How do you face heartache? How do you face betrayal? How do you face injustice? Do you try to prevent it, to cushion it, to run from it, to ignore it? Or... Like Jesus, do you see the purpose on the other side of it? Do you run right into it? Because Jesus could have said, can we hold on a second? Can we talk about this? Nobody says, do this. He understands that no matter how much you try to resist suffering or wrong, that doesn't stop it from happening. There is no way, and if this year has taught us anything, there is no way that in all of our strength and control that we can prevent difficulty or suffering. None of us can do it. God himself couldn't do it. Can I rock your theology for a second? God himself saw the purpose and he said, this is going to happen. It needs to happen. And he could have, the Bible says, snapped his fingers, 10,000 angels come in, but he understands. He understood in this moment. No, no, no. This is not something to run from because behind the pain, there's divine purpose. Behind the suffering, there's a meaning. And he says, so bring it on. And the only way that you can, because you're probably like, Pastor Justin, what are you saying today? (laughs) Like, how am I supposed to have that attitude? Because life is tough right now. Things are going on in my family. Things are going on in my finances. My business might close. My marriage is struggling. What are you saying? I'm, I'm not saying to be a glutton for pain. I'm saying the only way to face pain properly is with an eternal perspective. Realizing that a heavenly perspective lets you see that pain is just part of the picture. It is not the sum total of your life. It doesn't define you. It's just part of the journey. And when you get a heavenly perspective, you can see past your pain to the purpose that God has created for you and that even pain can't stop it. You've got to see things differently. That heavenly perspective is what changes everything. And so in this moment, 
I'm kind of dramatic, I'm kind of theatrical, but I just can't help myself in this moment. The moment that Judas leans in and kisses the cheek of Jesus, it is like a poetic nuclear explosion that sends these two men down polar opposite paths of suffering. These two best friends standing in a garden, these two men who had three years of laughter and memories and inside jokes and food, The moment that Judas leans in, it is like a bomb goes off in their relationship. And both of them are about to endure and go through some of the most intense aspects of their life. And there's parallels in both of them. So I want to tackle this together. First and foremost, uh, to frame it, these two men both go in polar opposite directions. Both are hurled into suffering. Jesus, from the moment of this kiss, is thrown into suffering. But we overlook the fact that Judas is also thrown, hurled into suffering. Both men will suffer in a moment, emotionally. Both men will suffer physically. Both men will suffer spiritually. And both men will ultimately suffer unto death. Their path looks very the same as it goes to suffering. For, for example, Jesus had just prayed to God, like, I know what's coming up, and if there's a way out, I want it. If there's a way out of this because the suffering is too great, Jesus himself said, if there's a way out, I want it. Nevertheless, your will be done. But we don't realize that Judas did the same thing too. In Matthew 27, 1, it says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people had made their plans on how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, handed him over to Pilate. And verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was suddenly seized with remorse. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests, and he said, I've sinned. I, I, I betrayed innocent blood. And he's saying, is there any way out of this? Can you take the money back? Can I go back? Can I undo what I've done? And the chief priest says, what is this to us? This is your responsibility now. And Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And he went away and hanged himself. But before we get into that suffering, it's important for me to illustrate to you that Judas was seized with remorse. He didn't just double down on his betrayal. The moment he saw his mistake, he said, is there any way to take this back? But unfortunately, there was not. And he even throws the money into the temple. He's like, I don't want this. I don't want what I brought on myself anymore. And I, for a moment here, I see myself in Judas. And hopefully you can too. When you wake up and realize the impact of your mistake. And you're like, can I please take it back? Can I please undo it? Can I please change something? And Judas and Jesus are living parallel moments right here. Jesus is saying, is there any way out, God? And Judas is saying, is there any way out? For both of them, the answer is no. It's crazy, isn't it? What a path. And yet, their suffering is just beginning. Both men suffered. But here is the heart of today's message. If message one was, when you get stabbed in the back, let it push you forward. Part two here, the heart of this message today. I need to suffer in the right direction. I need to suffer in the right direction. It's deep. Jesus and Judas were both suffering, but Jesus suffered in the right direction, and Judas suffered in the wrong direction. Suffering will be an inevitable part of your life, but you get to determine which direction your suffering takes you.
does it bring you further into your purpose or does it bring you further away from that purpose? Does it drive you into the presence of God or does it pull you out and cause you to question his very existence? We need to suffer in the right direction. Judas suffered in his soul with regret and remorse. There are some decisions that you make that the suffering will hit afterward. And if you've lived any life, you know the feeling of remorse. I love that the Bible says Judas was seized with remorse. Have you ever been seized with remorse where you regret so much your decision? And I want to caution you, particularly if you are in a point right now where you are towing the line of your own personal convictions, towing the line in your marriage, towing the line with substance use, towing the line with something that you feel like, man, this isn't going to be that bad. Ask Judas what it feels like the next day to wake up and realize, can I take it back? Can I change this? Is there a way we can go back? Because being seized with remorse is a level of suffering that you almost cannot describe. Wishing you could go back and change something. We all know that pain. And instead of spending your time trying to change what you can't change, can you use that pain and let it cause you to realize, I can't make this new mistake and bring more pain into my life. I would rather avoid remorse and honor God with my actions now than say, forget it, let's do what I want and wake up tomorrow with the pain of remorse. Judas' suffering is consequential. It's because of his action, because of his mistake. Judas suffered in his soul with remorse, but Jesus suffered in his soul with submission. Two very different sufferings, going down different paths. When Jesus was in the garden on his knees, praying, sweating drops of blood, He said, God, if there's any way out of this, I want out. But, and I think he just like, this was a hard prayer to pray. I don't think this just flowed out of him because he was literally bleeding from his forehead with this anguish. He said, "I, I want out. I don't want this. I don't want this, but your will be done in my life. Do you know what it cost Jesus to submit like that? Do you know what it cost him? He suffered to submit. It was anguish to submit. But that kind of suffering is going to produce purpose in your life. So you can either make the choice that you want to make and suffer after it, or you can suffer and submit to make the choice God has called you to make and see purpose as a result. You've got to suffer in the right direction. You've got to make the choice to go through the difficult process of self-sacrifice so that you can see God's glory in your life. Because if you come on the other path and say, I'm doing it my way, then you're going to get to make all the choices you want. It'll feel amazing. And then after the fact, the suffering of remorse will come upon you. So to put it, to put it a different way, You can have glory, like Judas had. He got the money, he got the influence, he got everything he wanted. You can have glory and then suffering. Or like Jesus, you can have suffering and then glory. You pick how it goes. Glory now and suffering later, or suffering now and glory later. Suffer in the right direction. Judas suffered in his body with despair. We read that he was so weighed down with this regret and decision that he actually went and hanged himself on a tree, ended his own life because he did not know how he could come back from this and he felt like all hope is gone. And you know, the Bible really points out here that the enemy had entered his heart, the enemy had just wreaked havoc in his life. And let me expose how the enemy works. 
right? He will come in and he'll, he'll tempt, he'll, he'll uh, try to convince, he'll, he'll lure, he'll, he'll attack, he'll do all of these things. And then once you have made mistakes and done these different things, he then, the very same enemy that enticed you and beckoned you and taunted you, will then turn around and condemn you and blame you and add con- and condemnation into your life. And the priests who paid Judas, they weren't there anymore in his pain. You know what they said? That's your responsibility. Excuse me, you were part of the conspiracy. You, you were part of this, but there's no loyalty in the dark. You made your mistake, you're on your own. And think of how Judas felt, conspiring with men who had no loyalty toward him against men who had loyalty toward him. He had 11 other friends, not to mention Jesus, that he turned his back on, and now he's totally alone. He suffers with despair. He hanged himself on a tree. And I believe that despair is consequential in our bodies. I mean, Judas went to the very end of his life with this pain and despair. But I see poetry in this dynamic. Judas hanged on a tree, and Jesus hanged on a tree. And yet their suffering is in completely different directions. Judas' body and his life suffered with despair, but Jesus' body suffered in sacrifice. Do you see the juxtaposition? Judas alone in a field, hanging from a tree, losing his purpose, and Jesus hanging on a tree, fulfilling his purpose. You can either suffer in despair or suffer in sacrifice. You can either let your life be drained of its hope and of its purpose, or you can let your life endure through even the most difficult of pains because of hope, because of purpose. Jesus hung on that tree and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In his worst moment, Jesus was his best. In his worst moment, Jesus was his best. In the darkest night, Jesus shone the brightest. And that's what it looks like to suffer in the right direction. You have to make a decision. Is this this suffering going to be dictated by despair or by purpose? By by depression and doubt and darkness? Or is it going to be dictated by sacrifice? Because if you're going to suffer anyway, suffer in the right direction. If you're going to feel the pain anyway, why not let Let it be for the glory of God and the fulfillment of your purpose. I wish I could preach to you a message on how to negate suffering, how to avoid it, how to make life happy for every moment, but it's just not real. Suffering is inevitable, but you get to determine the outcome of it in your life. We have to suffer in the right direction. Suffering is inevitable in life. But do you suffer in the right direction toward God's will? And this, this next one, bear with me because scripture gets a little graphic here, um, like almost to a medical level. But I, I really want to read this because there there's such meaning here. In Acts chapter 1, we see Judas and the, the account of his death. Acts chapter 118, it says, With their payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. He hanged himself, and there he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. I mean, just gruesome. Like this is as graphic as graphic can be. And everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. 
So they called that field in their language, Akeldama, which is the field of blood. What a dark ending to this man's life. Judas, his body bursts open and everything physically within him spills out onto this field. Judas was hanged from a tree. And when he died this way, burst and his body spilled on this field, this name, Akeldama, the field of blood, it's got this like notion of curse. Like it's like, you don't want to go there. Like that's the field of blood. It's about as bad as it can be. And it kind of commemorates the darkness in Judas' end. Judas was hanged on a tree and spilled out curses. But in John 19, 33, it says, as Jesus died, when they came to Jesus, they found he was dead. They didn't break his legs as was customary. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear and from it flowed blood and water. And the man who saw this has given his testimony and his testimony is true. He knows he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may also believe. Judas hanging from a tree spills out curse. Jesus hanging from a tree spills out blessing. In their moment of death, in the absolute moment of their breaking, like the absolute worst, what comes out of Judas is curse and darkness and a place where people look back and say, stay away from that. But when Jesus was pierced to his absolute limit, and I know this is physically graphic, but I hope you can see the spiritual significance. When his side was pierced, blood and water poured out of him, which medically is a description of everything within him is bursting and exploding. And when it pours out that very blood that was shed for you and for me, it spilled out and it redeemed the ground that it fell on, the people who were watching all of eternity. When that blood poured out, it brought redemption for sin. It brought a new covenant. it heralded the dawn of a new era in in our lives in the church. It's the blood that redeemed us, the blood that saved us. When Jesus was broken down to the very core of who he was, blessing spilled out of him. So here's my question. Suffering is happening. It's happening in your life. But what is your suffering spilling out of you? You're bursting from the inside out. It's what suffering does. It pulverizes us. It, it pulls everything out of us. But what's coming out? Is it cursing or blessing? Is it darkness or light? Is it despair or is it redemptive? Test it. 2020 is a great year to see what's inside of you because it pulls out suffering and difficulty, pulls out what's within us. And if you don't like what came out of you, then you need to run into the presence of God and say, create in me a clean heart. I need to be redeemed. I need to be restored. I don't love suffering, but I do appreciate how it shows me what's on the inside. And stuff has come out of me this year that I am not only grateful was exposed, but I'm grateful God is healing me of and redeeming me of because I don't think I could have gone another year with some of these areas in my life, the irritability, the controlling, the doubt, the self-centeredness. 2020 and the suffering that we've gone through brought it up, but God brought it out for a purpose. And if your suffering is gonna happen, let it suffer in the right direction so that blessing can pour from you. If you're going through it right now, if you're going through it right now, let it spill blessing out of you. There is the way of Judas, pointless, consequential suffering that leads to a dark end. And then there is the path of Jesus, 
purposeful, redemptive suffering that leads to the fulfillment of God's purpose in your life. Suffer in the right direction. How do I do that, Pastor Justin? I don't know. Let's ask Jesus. Luke 9, 22. Jesus says, as he's approaching Jerusalem, it's necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering. Guys, for a second, can I give you some context here? And this one will get me. He's telling this story and telling this thought to his disciples, and Judas is standing right there. Jesus is describing what he's about to go through at the hands of the man who's standing right there. And he knows what's about to happen, and Judas is oblivious. I mean, certainly there's probably some darkness starting to enter his heart, but Jesus is still, even even when it's preventable, he's saying, I'm going to go into some suffering in a minute, and here's how it's going to go for me. And this is how we can learn from it. Luke 9, 22. He says, it's necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by religious leaders, high priests, religion scholars, to be killed and on the third day be raised up alive. Verse 23, please, friends, listen. Then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me, I intend to go with Jesus. And I hope you do too. But listen, he says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how to do that. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to finding yourself, your true self, Because what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? Jesus didn't just embrace suffering. He didn't just endure it. He invited us to follow him into it, to follow him through it, to follow him on the other side of it. Suffering is inevitable. But when Jesus came and lived this life with its difficulties and its trial, he said, I'm gonna show you how to get through this in the right direction. And I extend that same call to you today. He said, follow me and I'll show you how. How do I embrace suffering? Follow Jesus. How do I get through what I'm going through right now? Follow Jesus. How do I find the answers to this? Follow Jesus. Like that woman, make contact with Jesus and hold on tight. You better believe I'm not just touching that garment. I'm holding that garment. You can drag me through the dirt and through the mud, but wherever Jesus goes, I'm going and he's going to show me the way. I don't need self-help. That's not what this is about. It's about self-sacrifice. And if I'm going to go through hell, it's going to be to reach heaven. If I'm going to go through the dark night, it's to see the brightness of God in my life. I'm going to suffer in the right direction. And if you're here today and you're going through suffering. Allow me to be a voice of hope. It can be redemptive. This does not have to be aimless, senseless, purposeless suffering. If you will allow yourself to cling to Jesus, there can be redemptive purpose in this suffering. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.